the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM-FM and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It's a Wednesday, a full Wednesday, all 90 minutes. We go right up until 7 o'clock, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas, and then it's our new show, Eye on the World, coming up at 9 o'clock. Ton to get to. Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, Tom Karen is going to stop by at 545. You'll hear a bit from Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, and we'll learn a little bit more about Bryant University, the newest conference rival for UVM, as it was announced yesterday that they are joining the America East Conference. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also check us out on our Facebook live stream, YouTube live. And today, I'm trying something new. I've got the broadcast going live on my Twitter account, at WDEV Radio Brady. So you can watch us digitally all over the place. So let's waste no time and let go. Five, four, three, two. One. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I actually want to start the show today with a couple of text messages that we got yesterday and then into the morning this morning because there's a couple of really good questions that I got on the text line. So Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, always open, 802-585-3026. First one came from Lou in Hinesburg. These are all about the Patriots. So Lou in Hinesburg, Brady, you talked yesterday about Robert Kraft putting pressure on Bill Belichick for this year. But do you think that Robert Kraft doubts Bill Belichick right now? That's a great question. Do we think that Robert Kraft doubts Bill Belichick? I will say yes. I think that Robert Kraft does doubt Bill Belichick, but I think that Robert Kraft has probably always doubted Bill Belichick, and it's always worked out, hasn't it? So I do think for Kraft there's an element of doubt. But there's also an element of in Bill we trust. But when you're as powerful as Robert Kraft is, when you're as rich as Robert Kraft is, and when you're not in control yourself, I think you're naturally kind of quizzical of those who work around you, right? Like, Robert, when you're that powerful, you tend to like to be in control. And when you're not in control, you tend to be a little bit antsy about what everybody else is doing. So I think there is an element of Robert Kraft, who, in Bill We Trust, it's always worked. It's always worked, so I got to believe it's going to. But I also think there's an element of, I, it. I, it's always worked, but I don't know how it works. And I don't know that it's going to work right now. Like, here's what Robert Kraft said yesterday about Belichick. Bill has a unique way of doing things. You know, it's worked out pretty well up to now, so... Um, 
I, I know what I don't know, and I try to stay out of the way of things I don't know. I think he's pretty good, I don't know, is it over 40 years of experience doing it? So it, it doesn't sometimes look straight line to our fans and or to myself, but I'm results oriented. Okay, so he said basically everything I just said there, right? That it's always worked out. I try to stay out of the way. He's got 40 years of experience. So I do trust Bill Belichick. But when he says it doesn't look linear to our fans and it doesn't look linear to me, he's he's acknowledging like it works, but I don't quite know how it works. So I do think that there is doubt in Robert Kraft's mind. Again, does not mean that Bill Belichick is on the hot seat. Does not mean that Bill Belichick is coaching for his job this year. But if you ask me, Brady, do you think that Robert Kraft doubts Bill Belichick? My answer would be, yeah, there is some doubt there. Anytime you're as powerful as Robert Kraft is and your success depends on other people, I think you always have a degree of nervousness. So I got to think, and Kraft knows Belichick, he admitted it there. Like it's not always linear. Bill Belichick does things kind of weirdly, right? Cut this guy, sign that guy, trade that star, pay that guy more than anybody else would have. Don't pay that guy when everybody else would have. Robert Kraft knows that Bill Belichick just does things a little bit differently. And when you have somebody that does it differently and has their own style, I think there's always doubt that creeps in. I think there's always wondering, like, it's always worked out, but is it going to keep working out? So, yes, I think that there is some doubt there when it comes to Bill Belichick from Robert Kraft. Ironically enough, I asked that question because it was such a good text. I asked that question of Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio when I spoke to him earlier this afternoon. Here's what Freddie said. I don't believe so. I don't I don't have that. I didn't get that kind of feeling from Robert Kraft in terms of doubting because he still has a team with terrific players. But I also think he looks at the landscape of what the AFC has been able to do. The Kansas City Chiefs, they're still terrific. Cincinnati made the Super Bowl last year. The whole AFC West division is going to be a bloodbath. What the Colts were able to do, bringing in Matt Ryan to be their quarterback. Tennessee was a number one seat last year in the AFC. So I think he looks at the landscape of the AFC, and he wants the team to understand that there should be a sense of urgency that we can't just rely on what we did for the past 22 years and think it's going to be okay. I firmly believe that's where that statement came from. Okay, I, I, Freddie and I disagree. I think there is a doubt, but I also think that Robert Kraft hopes that things will settle like they always have. Uh, Robert in Shelburne, he got in this morning on the text line. Said, Brady, how do you think Robert Kraft feels about the way this offseason has transpired? I think Robert Kraft feels like a lot of us do, really. I think Robert Kraft feels like every single one of us, and that is blindsided by what we have seen this offseason. The amount of activity. This has been so nuts this offseason. I don't think anyone could have seen what has happened coming, and I think Robert Kraft feels like every single one of us and that we've all been caught at least semi-flat-footed here. We were prepared for some big movement, right? We were prepared for Aaron Rodgers. We were prepared for Deshaun Watson. We were prepared for the possibility of Russell Wilson. We knew that all of them were possible, but Wilson happened and Watson happened. And then uh, 
Carson Wentz, a little lesser, but Tyreek Hill and Khalil Mack, the number of big-time players, the number of highly-priced players, the numbers of players with big pedigrees and big resumes that have changed teams, I think that has caught everybody by surprise, Robert Kraft included. I think Robert Kraft walked out of that Patriots blowout loss in the playoffs to Buffalo. I think Robert Kraft walked out of there saying, you know what, today was a bad day but we're in a really good spot. Back on January 15th or whatever, I think Robert Kraft believed that. We've got a great head coach. We've got stability in our organization. We've got a young quarterback. And we've got a number of good players under contract. I think Robert Kraft felt really good about the Patriots in January. Robert Kraft now, I think, like all of us, has been so blindsided by what's happened that He's been left wondering, like, where do we really stand here? I mean, what exactly has happened around us? I think he looks at, like, it's like the Tasmanian devil. Like, we went from almost winning our division to being in the bottom fourth of the conference just like that. And even if Robert Kraft thinks his team is better than I do, he can't be looking around going, hey, we're a Super Bowl contender right now. He says he wants to be. That puts the pressure on Belichick. That raises the expectations on Belichick. But I, I can't think that Robert Kraft is real thrilled about what tra- what has transpired. Final text that came in overnight on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line: Marvin in Essex Junction. Do you think that Kraft would ever actually fire Bill Belichick? Man, I. I don't think that Kraft would ever want to fire Belichick. I think if it came to the point where the organization wanted to move on, that I think they would do everything that they could, that Robert Kraft would do everything that he could to come to an agreement where Bill Belichick would resign, where he would move upstairs to a senior advisory role. I think they'd do whatever they could to make it a nice parting. And I think they would try to give Belichick a chance to still have great standing in the organization. That said, if Belichick would not accept any of that stuff, then I think yes. I think that Robert Kraft would physically be able to fire Bill Belichick. He would not want to, but I think he would physically be able to. I mean, if he had the stomach for letting Tom Brady go, a guy he who won him six titles, who he looks at as a son, as he said, if he can have the stomach to let Tom Brady go, he could have the stomach to fire Bill Belichick. I do not believe that he would want to. He would do everything he could to avoid that situation. He'd try to make it as nice as possible. But if Belichick wasn't having any of it, then yes, I believe that Robert Kraft physically has it in him to fire Bill Belichick. I do not think that we're even close to being there yet, though. Um... Joe's got a question on the text line about uh, Bryant University. We'll get into that later uh, in the show because we got a lot of stuff on Bryant and the America East. Uh, Virginia in Starksboro bringing me the crass comment of the day. Why is it okay for Robert Kraft to uh, go to massage parlors, but it's not okay, or but it basically, but Deshaun Watson gets punished? Well, take a shot at that right now. Um, what Robert Kraft did was consensual 
although illegal when you talk about prostitution, illegal, but consensual. And it went to court, and I got to remember exactly how everything paid out, but he wasn't even punished by the league because it got, you know, the legal system, the whole thing broke down. When we thought it was human trafficking and all that, it was a lot bigger deal to everyone. What Robert Kraft did was illegal but consensual. What Deshaun Watson has allegedly done, largely not consensual based on these allegations, made people uncomfortable, was inappropriate. And there is a difference there, so... That is that. And then, uh, this is a new one on the text line. The Murdog from Duxbury. The Murdog. Gets in a question about overtime. I talked a lot yesterday about overtime and how you're never going to find an easy or an answer that makes everybody feel good when it comes to NFL overtime. He says, Brady, there is a way to do it. Only flip the coin at the beginning of the game makes deferring to the second half a costly decision. The team that has the first possession of the game has the first possession of overtime, and then it would be sudden death. So basically, the Murdog wants you to have the ball first. Well, if if you take the ball first, oh, I see what he's saying. Okay. If you defer to the second half, like most teams do, they take the ball coming out of halftime you were running the risk of not getting the ball first in overtime. Whereas if you take the ball first, which everybody doesn't like to do, you would guarantee yourself the possession in overtime. That is an interesting premise. And I haven't given a lot of thought to that because I haven't read it until this second. So it would make deferring to the second half a costly decision. You are still basing, though, I think everyone's issue is that Overtime is decided by a coin toss. Overtime would still be decided by a coin toss. However, it would just be done at the start of the game. So, no, I, I guess I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't mind the coin toss, though, and I I don't mind overtime as it was. I'm apparently in the minority on that, but I don't mind overtime as it's been. Like, play a lick of defense, and you genuinely can be okay. Play a lick of defense. Like, Everything's changed. The rules have changed, right, because of the Mahomes and Josh Allen game this year. Well, think about this. There's, what, three possible scenarios that happened in that that could have happened for Patrick Mahomes in that, in that game. So the Chiefs got the ball first in overtime, right? Mahomes can go down and score a touchdown and end the game. Fine. So that's, that's one outcome. Two is Mahomes can go down and get a field goal, and the game keeps going. Three is... The, the, the Chiefs can turn the ball over, whether it's on downs or whether it's a physical turnover. Two of those three outcomes aid the Bills. So the the odds are still in the Bills' favor. Everyone's like, oh, the Chiefs got the ball first, therefore they had the clear advantage. Well, yeah, but two of the three possible outcomes still favor the Bills. Hold them to a field goal or turn them over somehow. You get the ball back. We're never having this discussion. You you allowed the, third, the one thing... The thing that had a 33% chance of happening, you allowed to happen. So, there you go. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joe says, I hate the rule change. I mean, come on. If you want a chance to get the ball in overtime, it's simple. Stop the other team. Thank you very much. Um, Let's see. Joe also says, as a Pat's lifer, I know the day would come where it would take a few years to get back to being a cons- uh, constant contender in the AFC, but now it's not our time. The AFC is way too strong right now. 
I agree with you. He says, in Bill we trust, but, you know, doesn't feel good about where things are at. I agree with you. We'll go down to Fort Myers, Red Sox spring training. Tom Karen, our Sox insider at Nesson. Why was Trevor Story hitting six today? We'll talk about that. That's next on DEV. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox? Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nesson insider Tom Karen. Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox won at spring training today. They beat the Braves by a score of 10-7. to Tom Karen of Nesson was on the call for that game for television. Uh, as a result of that, he and I spoke earlier this morning, so that's why you won't hear us talk about the game, but we did talk about the interesting lineup construction in this game and what it all means. So I started out by saying, TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. Appreciate you being with us as always. And again, we're taping this, excuse me, before the game actually airs, so I don't know how this lineup is going to actually play out today, but it looks like this could be the opening lineup for Alex Cora and the Red Sox April 7th against the Yankees, so let's dissect it here. The first thing that stood out to me, Trevor Story hitting sixth. Seems like a little low in the order for a guy you're paying $140 million to. Yeah, I think it's for a couple of reasons. We just talked to Alex Cora about it, and, you know, a couple of things to point out is, A, they really don't have a lot of left-handed options, and I think we wanted to mix them up a little bit, which is why the D goes up a little higher than you might. That's really about the left-right mix of the batting order as opposed to any individual. Uh, he also pointed out that he, he thinks Trevor Story can use his speed more in the sixth hole rather than maybe uh, a, a potential out if you're being a little overly aggressive higher up in the order, down in the sixth spot, so you can kind of go after it and grab that extra base, whether you're going first to third on a hit or trying to score from second, or just steal a base, which we know Story can do. Uh, he also said against lefties, you probably see Story hit a lot higher, maybe second, the Devils dropping down a little bit. Uh, so this isn't a permanent thing, but he, but he wants to sort of play with it and see if this is where it, uh, where, where it comes together. But he did say, as of right now, this probably will be your lineup for opening day in New York. What do you think of Verdugo in the five spot? Okay, you're, I'm with you a little higher up than you would expect, but when I think of the five spot, I think of a guy who's got major run-producing potential and a good amount of power. Verdugo is more of a, a contact gap-to-gap -gap hitter. Do you think he could hold his own in the five hole for a prolonged period of time? Talk about Verdugo. The yeah. interesting thing is, is he's, got his, he's got power to the gaps, right? Not necessarily a big home run guy, but when he's staying within himself, he can certainly use that left center gap and, and pull a little bit to right center gap. I think I think they like the possibility of him unlocking that uh, power potential to the gap a little more as he goes. But again, I, I really think, you know, more than anything, and, and again, I, I will say, if you follow the game closely now, uh, the, the batting, batting leaders, you know, listen, the best hitter always used to be what? The two guy, the three guy, right? Yep. Your, your, big, your most powerful guy was your four guy. Lineups aren't built like that anymore. They really are. A lot of analytics going into it. There's a lot of splits. Most teams change their lineup every day based on how these guys hit against that type of pitcher. Remember, they, 
They never look at the head-to-head splits anymore. It's not how you do against this pitcher. It's how you do against this profile of pitcher. Uh, so I, a lot more goes into it than the old days. You know, five guys got to be a power guy. Uh, I, I think they look at, uh, at, at the possibility uh, of having a lot of traffic going on. Uh, uh, Doogie is a guy who can, can control the bat and, and move runners along. And then you've got that power threat with Corey. It's an interesting lineup. I, I certainly did not expect Trevor Story to have six, as you said, with that kind of contract. Uh, and again, we'll see. You know, they, they expect to face a lefty on Sunday in New York. They expect to face a lefty, I think they said Wednesday in Detroit. So you probably have, you know, what is that, two of your first six games. Uh, so we'll see how often they face lefties or how often they, they how long they stick with the original experiment. And, and the other part is, you know, do you give Bogart the day off once in a while? The story move over to short, especially at the beginning of the game. Of course, they haven't had that discussion yet. Uh, not everybody likes to do that when they're learning a new position. They don't want to bounce back and forth. He said, we'll have to see about that. All right, that's the lineup. Let's talk about the roster itself. Jaron Duran sent down to, to AAA camp, so he's not going to be the fourth outfielder, at least at the beginning of the year. Who's got the leg up there? Is it Franchi Cordero or is it Rob Refsnyder? Well, right now, I don't think it's either. Right now, I think it's Christian Arroyo as the super utility guy. Uh, they've had Arroyo working uh, quite a bit in the outfield. Uh, he was out there yesterday and looked pretty good. Uh, Alex Cora telling us that J.D. Martinez is going to be part of the outfield mix, especially in right field uh, against lefties. Uh, that might be when Jack Bradley Jr. isn't in the lineup as much. So it, it's an interesting uh, mix when you start to talk about the depth in that outfield. You know who the top three guys are. You know who the two starters are going to be. Uh, but if you're rotating those guys through, what it means is you don't necessarily have to keep a fourth outfielder per se. You might have those guys uh, on your bench already, which would either allow you to have another super utility type or even another pitcher. From the pitching standpoint, you know we're, we know that there's going to be 28 players on this roster in April, and that's going to allow you to keep more pitchers. We kind of know the main players in that Red Sox bullpen, but who's kind of come out of nowhere and looks like they might have a spot at least early? I mean, I don't, I don't know where Cutter Crawford came from yesterday throwing 98. Well, remember he made his major league debut last year. Yeah. It didn't go great, but uh, but Corwin was quick to say he's a major league pitcher. They really like him. Uh, they think he's tough playing. Uh, he was just raving about him again this morning when we were talking to Cora. Uh, you know, the interesting guy, you know, Derek Holland is an interesting guy, 13-year veteran, was actually a teammate of Alex Cora's in Texas, and a teammate of Dave Bush, the pitching coach, uh, was his teammate in Texas as well. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he has uh, looked pretty good so far. You know, Michael Watkins was really good and, and is going to be part of your rotation at the start. We know that. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, those are, it's interesting that it's the veteran guys, uh, not necessarily young guys, but veteran guys. Now, Deakman has really struggled here at the start. Uh, we saw that again yesterday. Strom's been pretty good. Uh, so they got, they've got some lefty options to be sure. Josh Taylor's not going to be ready at the start of the season. Uh, he did talk at least at the beginning of the season because of the days off, not necessarily because of the rotation, but Whitlock will be available in the bullpen, he said, on opening day. Uh, which means, uh, and he brought him up when he was asked about the closer. So uh, Barnes, Whitlock are guys who, who could wind up coming in at the end. And again, they've got two days off, I think, in the first eight, and then it's 17 in a row. So you can survive the first week with four starters, uh, but then you're going to need to go five and, and keep that rotation going. So we'll see if it's Whitlock. I, I would think uh, Rich Hill and uh, Tanner Houck are going to be in the rotation. Side. So I think Whitlock, to me, I don't know about you, Brady, but to me, 
while, while I know a starter gives you more innings and maybe more impact, uh, you know, over an entire game, I think the ability to have a Garrett Whitlock coming out of the pen, you know, two out of three days, a couple of mm-hmm. times in the series, that's a weapon you can utilize a lot more. Well, interesting. We're going to react to that here after we get you off the phone, which we'll do here momentarily. I know your time is a little more limited today. Let's get a Bruins question in here. Bees lose to the Maple Leafs yesterday. That's a big loss considering the Maple Leafs came into that game with the same amount of points as you did. Uh, We're getting down to the end of the regular season. How big was yesterday's setback? You know, I don't know how big it is, but it was a big disappointment, right? I mean, you're at home. It's Toronto. Uh, As you said, you come in with the same, uh, same point. And it's just, you know, you, I was looking for intensity and, and emotion. And, you know, that, that first period was as ugly a period. Now, they came out, I thought they played a lot better in the second period. Hit, what, three posts? One of them they wound up scoring on the rebound. But uh, two posts in the second period when they were really peppering uh, the, the Maple Leafs. And then they, you know, a, a lackluster power play, give up a goal right after that, and basically it's game over. Uh, showed a little spirit in the third period, but that's too little too late. Uh, it, it's it's a little ominous to me when when a game that is as important as, as that uh, gets that kind of response from the team. So uh, they were flat. They they didn't show any emotion coming into this. I, I just thought it was extremely disappointing. Well, I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, you're Mr. New England. Curious if you know anything about Smithfield, Rhode Island, because uh, it sounds like uh, our listeners need to start learning about it because Bryant University is joining the America East to become UVM's newest rival. So I've never been to Smithfield, Rhode Island. Have you? I have multiple times because those of us old enough will remember that used to be where the Patriots held training camp. Oh. The New England Patriots always had training camp at Smithfield, uh, basically at Bryant. And and so that was every you know every summer uh, the media would always flock to Smithfield, uh, and and you know Bryant uh, you know has been in a conference uh, where they they played Merrimack and they played the Connecticut teams uh, and uh, they played Hobart where my son goes in lacrosse. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, good good program that is really uh, across the board in sports. And you saw them; they were they were fun to watch this year in the NCAA yeah. uh, playing game uh, when they made that run. Uh, it's a school much like Merrimack that has put a lot of money and a lot of uh, uh, improvements into their their facilities to take that jump to full-time D1, uh, and it's really paid off. Uh, it's a good school, a good program, and it's a beautiful part of, of uh, New England. So, yeah, you'll have to brush up on uh, on your Rhode Island geography, but, uh, but Smithfield, like St. Michael's College, a long-time NFL training camp site. There's some Giants were at St. Mike's forever way back in the day. Well, it looks like we'll be taking some trips to Smithfield for UVM contests. TC, next week when we talk, we're going to be on the eve of opening day. I can't wait. Enjoy the game today, and we'll talk again in seven days. Appreciate it, Brady. Thank you. Absolutely. That was part of my talk earlier today with Tom Karen. Again, TC, not live today because he was broadcasting the Red Sox game against the Braves. Red Sox did win that game 10-7. Trevor Story, for what it's worth, did have his first Red Sox hit, did have his first Red Sox RBI. That said, I still do have questions, the same questions I asked TC about the overall lineup construction for this team and if this is going to be their opening day lineup. We will talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour. Rafael Devers homer today, his fourth of the spring, by the way, for the Sox. Can we get that man paid, please? Can we get him taken care of here? with an extension Lou up in the Champlain Valley area says uh, so great to hear TC's voice 
Go Sox. That's right. TC. Opening day, by the way. We're going to have a lot of Red Sox baseball coming up here soon. Tomorrow, we've got Grapefruit League action. 1 o'clock, Sox and Twins. So we're playing a spring training game tomorrow. Monday, also playing a spring training game. Sox and Twins again. Also 1 o'clock. And then those are just test runs for the opener, which is Thursday afternoon against the Yankees. First pitch, 105. Nathan Navaldi against Garrett Cole. And our coverage will begin at 12.05. We are your home for Sox baseball here at WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And Tom Karen will be joining us every single week here on the Brady Farkas Show and on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. All right, CBS News. And then, was it okay for country music star Eric Church to cancel his concert so we can watch the Final Four? I'm taking your opinions on that. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Tom Karen for stopping by. TC's interview available on our podcast channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. A little later today, you're going to hear a bit from Maury Gordon. He is going to join us here at about uh, about 6.50 or so. Tell us a little bit about Bryant University. He's a TV host up in Rhode Island. 6.45, 6.50. So Maury Hirsch Gordon going to stop by at that point. Okay, question for the people. Question for the people, and I need all of you. I don't beg for interaction very often. I need interaction on this one. 802 585 3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, also on the Facebook Live channel, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, wherever you're watching or listening to this show, I need you to interact. Is it okay for country music star Eric Church to have postponed his show for Saturday night so he could watch the final four? Did you see this story? I've been talking about this a lot throughout the day, but if you haven't been listening yet, did you see this story? Country music star Eric Church. Look, I'm not a country music fan. I know who Eric Church is. Certainly a big deal, a big name, a big draw. He postponed his show on Saturday in San Antonio so he could watch his beloved University of North Carolina Tar Heels play against Duke. Is that okay to you? He loves North Carolina. It's the first time UNC and Duke are playing in the NCAA tournament. It's Coach K's potential last game. You get a chance to end Coach K's coaching career. It's the Final Four. Winner goes to the national title. So, I like, that's the situation. Are you okay with Eric Church postponing his show to watch North Carolina in the Final Four against Duke? To me, this is incredibly weak. And if I were a fan, I would be absolutely furious at this. Somebody is calling in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Person, I'm sorry, we cannot answer that phone call. That is not, you cannot answer the text line. The text line is only for text, so I apologize. So you got to text in with your thought. But, I mean, I am, I would be so unbelievably upset if I were somebody who was supposed to go to this show. Yes, Big game, great game, historic rivalry, Duke-UNC, Coach K's last game. I get all of it. This is still incredibly weak, incredibly, incredibly weak by Eric Church. I, I'd be disgusted at this 
if I were an Eric Church fan or an Eric Church concert goer. Like, there's the obvious, right? Like, what about the fans? I mean, and really, what about the fans? The little kid who got these tickets as a birthday present. You're really going to do this to him? The 17-year-old girl that this was her best Christmas gift. You're really going to do this to her? The mother and father that finally get a night out that have the babysitter coming over or grandma on deck. They finally get a night out, and you're going to do this to them. Also, you can watch UNC and Duke. The amount of selfishness and the amount of an insult to those fans, to me, completely disgusting. If, if, if a musician or a comedian or whoever I was supposed to see bailed for this reason, I would be absolutely furious. Like, if you told, I would be sympathetic if you told me or it was well known that like, hey, my dad and I went to every UNC game growing up and my dad recently passed. It would mean a lot to me to see this game to honor him. I'd be okay with it. I would let you off the hook for something like that. If you told me, hey, my dad's in the hospital, this is the thing we bonded over, I'd be okay with that. I would have some sympathy for you canceling your show for a sporting event if there were extenuating circumstances. Don't, they don't appear to be the case here other than he's a diehard UNC fan. That's not good enough to me. This is incredibly weak. Like, can't you watch the game later? I mean, there's a reason why we don't like watching sporting events taped, right? Because we go on social media, we see a score ticker, somebody texts us, and we figure out what happened. We don't like to watch sporting events after the fact. I'm with you. But if you just avoid your phone, if you just avoid your phone with a conscious choice, you can watch it later and not have it ruined for you. I mean, seriously, the game is at 7.49 Central Time. The game tips off at 7.49 Central Time. I don't know how things work like with openers and all that, but what time is he going to get on? He's going to get on at 8.15, and he's going to play for an hour and a half, and it's going to be 9.45 Central Time. He'll be two hours behind the fact. Watch the game on tape. Avoid your phone. Fast forward through the commercials and get yourself caught up. You'll, you'll be done with the game by 11.30 that way. It's not like you got to watch the thing tomorrow or four days later. You can still do the concert and not know what happened in the game and still watch it in a pretty timely manner. I mean, if you just commit to not going on your phone for a little while, you'll be good. Three, I had somebody say earlier, like, hey, what about the game day environment? You know, he wants to get into the mood all game long. He's a musician. He's a country music musician. He's probably going to have a couple of beers before the show, a couple of beers on the stage. He's going to be nice and, and limber, I'm sure, by the time game times come. He's got the perfect pregame. He's a country singer. A couple beers before the show, two beers during the show, get a nice little edge off you. You go watch the game after, you're five beers in, and boom, there you go. You've replicated the environment that you want. Not a good enough excuse to me. Four, doesn't he have no play dates? When, when you go on tour, if somebody out there is a musician, tell me how this works. Don't you have no play dates? Hey, I'm going on tour from the end of uh, 
February until October. I need these six dates off. Well, then, okay. If you didn't put the, you know when the Final Four is. The Final Four date is set. The National Championship game is set. If you think, if, if, if North Carolina basketball is so important to you that you just don't even want to chance it, you know, them being in this game, put it the no play date. I'm not playing on Saturday in the Final Four, and I'm not playing on Monday the National Championship game. Couldn't he play his, couldn't he do shows on Friday and Sunday and get around it? Put it in a no play date. How, I mean, how hard is that? Like, you've got to think ahead. If it's so important to you to, if it's so important to you to, to maybe see North Carolina basketball in the NCAA tournament in the Final Four, schedule, no, put a no play date on your tour there. Like, athletes can't just skip games that they want to watch. Like, or they can't just skip their own games to go watch other games. Like, Mike Trout's a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. If the Angels are playing in September, and Mike Trout can't just miss that game to watch Eagles football. I'm sure there's a lot of NBA guys that want to watch the World Series or something. Can't, because they're playing. I'm sure there's a lot of baseball guys that want to watch early season football. Can't. Want to watch early season college football. Can't. The job, when you're at that level... The job gets in the way. You just got to accept that. You know that going in. Put it, put a no play date out there. And then here's the kicker. Here's one of the kickers for me. Eric Church didn't even go to North Carolina. He didn't even go to UNC. This isn't his alma mater. If it were your alma mater, everything I said would still stand, but this isn't even your alma mater. Like, you went to Appalachian State. So you're a big UNC fan. You went to Appalachian State. You've already seen North Carolina win multiple championships. You've already seen North Carolina play in multiple Final Fours in your lifetime. I, okay, what's different about this one is that it's Duke and that it's Coach K. I get it. Watch the damn thing later. 802 585 3026. How do you feel about this? Um, let's see. All right, Joe. I'm a country music fan. If I had tickets, I'd be ticked. He canceled it for a basketball game. Yes, it's March Madness, but uh, you got it. Yes, but let's see. Uh, basically, yeah, he says this is foul. You know, not okay with it. Anthony says, He's a lifelong Tar Heels fan, so yes, I'm okay with it. He's watching it with his wife and kids. Don't care then. Don't care. Sorry. Like, his wife has seen North Carolina in the title game before. His kids, I don't know how old they are. They're going to have plenty of chances to see it again and share that memory with him. I, I don't even know that he's actually going to the game. Like, I think he's just watching it at home. Th this one is completely foul to me and completely weak. Mary and Randolph... Not fair to the fans who spent money on tickets, child care, and travel arrangements. Pretty selfish. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Not cool. Not cool. Not not good at all there. Okay? When you're Joe the accountant, you can blow off work to watch the title game. When you're uh, Susie the, uh, the, the sandwich maker at the local delicatessen, same thing. When you're Mark and you work at the gas station, you can blow off certain things. 
when you're Eric Church and you're getting 18,000 people in your arena or more, and all of them have made a concession to come see you, you owe it to them. You owe it to them. Uh, unnamed texter. Absolutely not this okay. Brady, that's, uh, let's see. This, that's childish. You're an adult. Fulfill your responsibilities. And Brady, your dad would want you to be responsible too in his honor. Okay? That, that is one way of looking at it, like I said. And again, this is, now we're kind of picking at things. But like, if I'm Eric, like, like let's just say, okay, I'm this radio host. And I've been doing this show for two, you know, two years, right? Like pretty much true, two years. And if every day I talked about my dad and my bonding over the Red Sox, and then I skipped a show to go to the Red Sox game, I think you might have a little more compassion for that, right? Number one, it's easier. Someone else can do the show. But number two, it's been largely established that I am a big Red Sox fan and my dad are big Red Sox fans. and We, we bond over this together. I, I mean... Maybe Eric Church sings every day about North Carolina. I've never heard of it. But I didn't even know that he – I didn't even know that he was in North Carolina. Steve says, where is he from? He's from North Carolina, but he went to Appalachian State. He's not even a – he's not even a, a UNC grad. Robin Royalton. It's not okay, but he's probably going to swap it for one of his no play dates. My guess is it's on the ticket somewhere, the – Show can be postponed for any reason specified. Possibly. Still don't care. Still think that it's weak. Um, when you are a dairy farmer, you cannot cancel. There you go. And a lot of people in the uh, in the crowd, I don't think, have a whole lot of sympathy. Some people called him a clown and said they would be boycotting his concerts. I just think it's weak. Like, said, said it out there that you don't want to play on the dates of the Final Four and the title. Don't even leave it up to chance. What, it was, he didn't schedule it because North Carolina, you know, was an eight seed? He didn't schedule it because UNC didn't look great at the beginning of the year? That's the breaks. You know every year the Final Four national title. So let's just run this back here of people I've asked today. Most of you on the show here, like five of the six of you that have texted in, agree with me. But Lee Cattell, he agreed with me. Calvin at WCAX in the afternoon news, he agreed with me. Uh, we had Roger Hill agreed with me and then we had, uh, Natalie Williams and Colin Flanders, Natalie from VT Digger, Colin at seven days. They agreed with Eric church. They thought it was okay. I, I would, so I was split pretty much asking on the air. I was not split here on the show. Good. Smart listeners here on the Brady Farkas show, Eric church, by the way, Freddie Coleman, I asked him what he thought about it. You don't get too many opportunities to see something like this, a happening event that's the last time. So uh, it lands pretty well with me, to be honest with you. Freddie Coleman was okay with Eric Church doing this. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Freddie, you're supposed to be a man of the people. Even Freddie was on Eric Church's side. I'm glad that our listeners here are smart, though. 802-585-3026. See, George Thomas, uh, jazz with George Thomas, he's hanging out there in the back room. George, nod your head at me if you hear this. Are you okay with Eric Church, the country singer, canceling his concert to stay home and watch a basketball game, which is what he did? Eric, or uh, George, the musician, the, the man of the music here at 7 o'clock, even he's shaking his head at Eric Church. I mean, seriously, Eric Church, I mean, I don't know. 
How many millions has Eric Church made off of these fans? Do the damn show. Do the damn show. 802. And by the way, go Duke. I already wanted Duke to win, but now I want him to win to spite Eric Church. So 802-585-3026. Let's stick with college basketball here momentarily. Let's get a couple quick notes on UVM as my blood pressure comes down. One, big man Ryan Davis has been selected to play in the senior all-star game. That comes up Friday at the aforementioned Final Four. So Friday afternoon at 3.30, Ryan Davis is going to play in the senior all-star game. Look, this, this can only be a good thing. This can only be a good thing. We talk about Davis getting professional looks or getting NBA looks. This is where it all starts. Put yourself on the court with other senior college players and see where you stand. Scouts are going to be there because it's at the Final Four. Go out there and show what you can do. Ryan Davis talks about wanting to play professionally. This is the first step in accomplishing that. You're out there, and everything you do from this point forward is a showcase and is a tryout. So I I wish Ryan Davis best of luck. You want opportunities to get in front of people. That's all you can ask for. Playing at the Senior All-Star Game is an opportunity to get in front of people. That is all you can ask for. After my rant yesterday at the end of the show about Davis and NBA looks, Travis, my Twitter nemesis who set off the whole thing, he got back to me and said, clearly we need to define look. Someone doing a pre-draft interview or showing up to watch a workout is a really weak definition of look. Are we talking a summer league invite? The bottom line is he is an NBA material. He's not G League material. He's a good America East player. Well, I define Ryan Davis getting a look as anything that gets you in front of NBA people. He's going to get workouts. He's possibly going to get a summer league roster spot. He's going to get some G League opportunities. He is going to get an opportunity. What he does with that opportunity is up to him and is up to NBA front offices. He is going to get them, though. And for the record, I don't think Ryan Davis is NBA material either. He's not big enough to be a post player. He's not athletic enough to be a wing player, in my mind. I hope I'm wrong. I think he's got a chance to play in the G League. I'd love to be wrong. So I'm kind of with Travis that I don't think he's an NBA player. Does not mean he's not going to get a look. Guys in the guys that played Division Three ball get workouts with NFL teams. They got it. They get a look. They get a chance. Does not mean that they're going to be suiting up on Sunday. Guy who throws 88 miles an hour, a, some scout somewhere goes to watch him on some backfield to say they did. Ryan Davis will get the equivalent of that. He might get more than that. And it might end there, but it, he's going to get a look, and he deserves to get a look. And what he does with it, it's up to him. It's up to front offices. Two, Ben Shungu, South Burlington native, Rice Memorial product. He was named a finalist for the Lou Henson Award. That is the Mid-Major Player of the Year Award. It's a great credit to him. It's a great testament to him. He absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. I had somebody else ask me on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line if Benny is a guy who I think will get NBA looks. I asked, you know, I said that Davis would. Someone asked if Benny will. I think Shungu is a harder NBA sell. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great catamount. 
I think he's athletic, but he's listed at 6'2", which means he's more like 6'1", and that's a that's a short guard in the NBA. If you're going to be that short, you've got to have something that's elite about you. And I just don't think that Benny has something that's that elite. Like, Steph Curry is 6'2", and thin. He gets away with it. Why? He's the greatest shooter of all time. Benny doesn't have that. He doesn't have some incredible vertical. He doesn't have some incredible strength. He's very strong at our level. He was strong against Arkansas. The NBA is a whole different brand of strong. So I wouldn't be shocked if Benny gets a workout somewhere along the lines. But, you know, I did think that Trey Bell Haynes was more pro-ready coming out of UVM. He was more of a natural point guard and had better passing skills than Benny does. So Benny's athletic, plays good defense, works his tail off. He may get a look too, but I think he's a harder sell than Davis is. Like if you ask me which of those two I'm more confident in in getting a look, it would be Davis uh, by a pretty wide margin. But Benny will also play professionally if he wants to. There will be a place in Europe for Benny, no doubt about it, if he wants to. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Com. Let's see. Uh, Tommy, or Tammy, rather, my apologies. Tammy says about the Eric Church thing, I'm surprised he's being allowed to do this by whoever manages his tour dates. Maybe he has a clause or an out in his contract to allow this. He evidently doesn't care if his fans are upset with him. He's doing it, I guess, just more power to him. He did say, you know, I'm not defending him, but he did say, like, this is the most selfish thing I've ever asked of my fans. Well, yeah, it's selfish. And there's fans that aren't going to forgive you for this. And I frankly understand why. I, I think that this is ridiculous. Watch the game two hours later. I mean, I don't know how many openers Eric Church has. But, you know, uh, get on get on stage at 8.15, play till 9.45, be gone and catch the game two hours later and watch it commercial free at that point. Sounds pretty good to me. Bring the family to the concert. Let them watch it with you in your hotel room. I don't care. I don't care what you do, but do the show. Somebody said even put the game up on a big screen while the concert's going on. If Eric Church can, can focus and still put on a good show while the game is being played, then sure, I'd be all for that too. What a memory it would be, but... Evidently, he's just not doing the show, and that doesn't sit well with me. All right, we will get to who's saying what on the other side of this commercial break. Earlier, we spoke with uh, Red Sox insider at Nesson, Tom Karen. We'll pay you, play you back a bunch of that sound. What was up with the Red Sox lineup today, and what does it mean moving forward? We'll talk about it with you next on WDEV. 53026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. They've got facilities in Enosburg and in Milton, so it could be the next great step 
in your career. On the Eric Church front, Jamie in New York says that uh, the fans would be okay with him canceling his show for a Cowboys Super Bowl. That's true. The San Antonio crowd would. The, you know, if Eric Church was doing this for the fans, for their team, it'd be different. If he was doing it for his team, like he is, it's not. It's not okay. Dane in Rochester says, "Brady, move on, dude." Thank you, Dane. Now that I have, you know, thank you because you said so. I will move off the Eric Church story. But I'll have you know that the Eric Church story elicited the most texts we've had all week on any one topic. So, Dane, I talk about what the people want to hear. So people got people liked hearing about Eric Church. Maybe you didn't, but everybody else did. But Dane says move on, so we're moving on. All right, let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. All right, Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. So if you want unlimited car washes, it's only... $20 a month. If you want just one free car wash, well, the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So that's the number 30 and then 400. Dane says, thank goodness you're moving on. Well, there you go. Again, Dane has asked for it, so we have moved on to who's saying what. So Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, he was with us earlier, and we talked a lot about the Red Sox lineup and how it was constructed today. And Red Sox won. They scored 10 runs, so I can't say the lineup didn't work, but they beat the Braves. But I was surprised at the construction of this lineup. I liked the players in it, by and large, but I didn't love the overall construction. And This looks like it very well could be the lineup opening day next Thursday when the Red Sox take on the Yankees. Here was the lineup, in case you missed it. Kike Hernandez led off in center. Rafael Devers batted second and played third. Xander Bogarts hit third and played short. J.D. Martinez was the cleanup hitter. He was at the D.H. spot. Alex Verdugo hit fifth and played left. Trevor Story hit sixth and played second. Bobby Dahlbeck was uh, the seventh hitter. He played first. Jackie Bradley played right and hit eighth. Christian Vasquez was the catcher, and he hit ninth. So, again, the players largely fine. You know my thoughts on Jackie Bradley Jr., but he looks like he's going to be a starter, so I just got to accept that. So the player's fine. The orientation of it was weird to me. I really thought this line, like this lineup has six righties in it and three lefties. I really thought it was going to go right, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left. We didn't see that. We did not see that. I thought JBJ would be hitting ninth. I thought Verdugo would hit sixth. Instead, JBJ was eighth. Verdugo was fifth. So I just was surprised. I thought it was going to be right, right, left. It wasn't. That was kind of my number one takeaway and kind of the number one thing that confused me because I think that that would have made sense. Two, why was Trevor Story hitting sixth? Why was Trevor Story hitting sixth? That really surprised me. Like, you're paying Trevor Story $140 million. 
If I'm going to pay you $140 million, aren't I paying you to be an impact player at the middle of your lineup? Isn't that my goal, to have Trevor Story in the middle of my order? And if you're hitting him sixth, aren't you taking away some of that ability for him to be that guy who's a run producer? And if you're going to hit Trevor Story sixth, and you're going to hit him in front of Dahlbeck and Bradley and Vasquez, you're making a whole hell of a lot easier for teams to pitch around Trevor Story, which is, I don't think, something that you really want. You want Trevor Story getting pitches to hit. But if I've got, if I've got a runner on second and one out, and Trevor Story's at the plate, well, guess what? I'm walking Trevor Story, and I'm looking for the strikeout machine Bobby Dahlbeck, and then I'm looking for 163 Jackie Bradley Jr. behind him. So if the Red Sox hit Trevor Story six, not only are they limiting his run-producing ability, they're limiting, in my mind, his ability to even get a ton of good pitches to hit because with the swing and miss that is behind him in that order, he's very easy to pitch around. I asked Tom Karen of Nesson about it. Here's what uh, what uh, TC said. That he, he thinks Trevor Story can use his speed more in the sixth hole rather than maybe uh, a, a potential out if you're being a little overly aggressive higher up in the order, down in the sixth spot. Uh, you can kind of go after it and grab that extra base, whether you're going first to third on a hit or trying to score from second or just steal a base, which we know Story can do. I mean, I guess that's fair. TC is right. Like, if you're hitting six and you've got the, you know, quote, lighter hitters behind you, like, you can take more chances on the bases, right? We've got to go first to third. We've got to go second to home because the big boppers are not behind us. You're not going to run into outs as easy. You know, you don't want to run into outs if you're hitting second, third, fourth, fifth. You can run into – you can be a little more aggressive on the bases when you're hitting sixth and these guys are behind you. That's true, but – I signed Trevor Story to produce runs for me. I didn't think I signed Trevor Story to just go first to third a little more freely. So um, Story hitting sixth against righties is something that I'm not I'm not necessarily good with. I mean, he's going to hit higher against lefties. I believe that. I think he'll probably hit second against lefties and he'll push Devers down. So we'll see him higher up in the order, but... When Trevor Story was signed, I thought he was going to be a guy who's either in the middle of my order to bring in runs, or at the very least, he's hitting second all the time to set the table for the guys who are in front of me, and you can't pitch around him. Now, hitting sixth, he's pretty easy to pitch around. My other question for TC, along those lines, why was Alex Verdugo hitting fifth? Why was Alex Verdugo hitting fifth? Here's what TC said. He's got his he's got power to the gaps, right? Not necessarily a big home run guy, but when he's staying within himself, he can certainly use that left center gap and, and pull a little bit to right center gap. I think I think they like the possibility of him unlocking that uh, power potential to the gaps a little more as he goes. Yeah, Verdugo to me is not a power hitter. Verdugo to me is a contact hitter with, like T C said, gap to gap power. I'd like to see my five hitter be a guy that can bring in a bunch of runs. I'd like to see my five hitter be a guy who can, you know, who can put a fear into an opposing pitcher. And I don't know that Verdugo does that. He is a contact guy. He is a good hitter. He's not, 
he's not a total liability. I like Verdugo as a player, but um, I just think that Verdugo in the five spot, I think he's better served a little lower in the order. He doesn't now. The one thing I'll say if he does hit fifth is that he will get more pitches to hit because they'll pitch around the four hitter and they'll won't want to face Story. So maybe Verdugo sandwiched in between those two spots will get more pitches to hit. I do think that that's fair. But I want my five-hitter to be more of a classic five-hitter, a guy who puts fear into opposing pitchers and opposing pitching coaches. I don't, I don't love, I don't love that. So, um, at the end of the day, on the lineup, I'm paying Trevor Story 140 million dollars. I'd like to see him in a run-producing spot, or at least a chance to hit in front of my run producers. And also, if Verdugo hits fifth and Story sixth, I'm gonna get Verdugo more at bats in the course of a game than Story. And that's not what I want. I signed Verdugo, or I signed Story to a $140 million contract. I want him to hit as much as possible. I want him hitting more often than Verdugo. I don't want a game to end with Verdugo when it should have been Story up there. So, look, my ideal lineup is Kike in center, Story at second, hitting second. Devers, my best overall hitter, hitting third. Bogarts at short, J.D. Martinez hitting fifth, a power hitter, but a guy who now I'm not convinced is going to hit for great average. Verdugo hitting sixth, then Dahlbeck, then I'd have Vasquez, and then I'd have Jackie Bradley. Like That's that's what my lineup would be. We're not too far off, but that's what my lineup would be. Now, Brian Barrett of WEI came out and reminded us all how great Devers was in the two-hole back in a couple of years ago, so fine. Devers is a great hitter. He can hit anywhere. But I'd love to have Story hitting in front of him. If I can go Kike, who can get on base and run, to Story, who can get on base and run and has power, to Devers, my best overall hitter, to Bogarts, an unbelievable all-around player, to Martinez, a guy who's got power but is a little more of a wild card now as he's into his mid-30s, then Verdugo, then Dahlbeck. Like, I feel really good about that top seven. I just don't love the order that it was assembled today. Tom says, doesn't really make sense. Not sure what metrics they are maybe seeing that we don't. I mean, TC talked a bit about that. Like, you know, he just, he thinks that, uh, you know, Verdugo, I I can't explain the exact metrics, to be honest with you. TC talked about what metrics they use and talked about how Verdugo's good against certain profiles of pitchers and all that. And that's fine. I'm paying Trevor Story $140 million. I want him hitting more often than Alex Verdugo. Uh, we did ask TC one more question, though. He said uh, we asked him about who the fourth outfielder was going to be, just out of curiosity, right? You've got Bradley, Verdugo, and Kike. Asked him, well, hey, Duran got sent down, so it's not him. What about uh, Rob Snyder, the old Yankees prospect? What about Franchi Cordero? Who's the fourth outfielder going to be? Here's what TC said. Surprising answer. Well, right now, I don't think it's either. Right now, I think it's Christian Arroyo as a super utility guy. Uh, they've had Arroyo working uh, quite a bit in the outfield. Uh, he was out there yesterday and looked pretty good. Uh, Alice Cora telling us that J.D. Martinez is going to be part of the outfield mix, especially in right field uh, against lefties. Uh, that might be when Jack Bradley Jr. isn't in the lineup as much. All right. So Christian Arroyo is apparently the fourth outfielder. I don't, I don't love that, but I, I got to say, I kind of forgot about J.D. Martinez's ability to play the outfield. I mean, J.D. can be a fourth outfielder. You don't want to put him out there a ton. 
You don't want to put him out there all the time, but he certainly can play out there, and he likes playing out there. So if you get Martinez out there, he's kind of the fourth outfielder, and then Arroyo's kind of that fifth guy, a floater guy. I, I can live with that. I can live with that. You know, I'd rather have Arroyo. You know, I like Arroyo. I think Arroyo's good. I like that he can play all over the field. So I am for Arroyo getting action. You know, I'd rather have Arroyo than Ref Snyder. I don't know exactly, you know, how often Arroyo's going to play in the outfield. I hope it's not a ton, but I like Arroyo getting in the game. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's see. Oh, I got to give Mac Jones some credit real quick, by the way. We've heard all along about Mac Jones' great intangibles, and we've seen that on the field. And uh, Mac yesterday was out at the Boys and Girls Club of Brockton in Massachusetts, spent some time with the kids, presented a check for $100,000, told them, you know, to gave them some motivational words. I love it. I think Mac Jones is a very good guy. I think Mac Jones has a very good shoulder on his head. As I said yesterday, just having the intangibles alone does not make you great. Just having the intangibles alone does not make you great. But you can't be truly great if you don't have the intangibles either. So Mac Jones has them. Good community stuff. I think it's really important for him to stay in the area, to ingratiate himself in the community, to make a difference. Donated money, but also donated time, and did it in a set in a setting where he's helping kids. That's what leaders do. That's what captains do. That's what quarterbacks do. All of this, ultimately, football-wise, comes down to how much talent he has and how much talent is around him. Just being a good guy does not absolve him of overall uh, blame or criticism as the Patriots quarterback. But again, the great ones, they all have great intangibles. Mac Jones has the great intangibles. And as much as we may criticize this, that, or the other about any kind of on-field stuff, he deserves to be recognized when he's doing the right thing off the field, and he seems to be doing that quite a bit. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back, UVM has a new conference rival, Maury Hirschgordon, out from a television station, WRPI, in Rhode Island. Let's us know a little bit about Bryant University. What's this move all about for them? How big a challenger can they be to UVM? Maury Hirschgordon is going to join us next on DEV. Always on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Com. Yesterday it became official. Bryant University joining the America East. They're going to take the spot of Stony Brook. The Seawolves leaving for the Colonial Athletic Association. So UVM has a new rival, and Bryant looks pretty good across multiple sports. And joining us now is Rhode Island television personality Maury Hirschgordon. He is with us now. So Maury, appreciate you being with us. And you know, this had been talked about for a while. This was kind of a, a poorly kept secret. We had heard about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, what's the motivation behind this move for Bryant? Yeah, well, Bryant's a, a school that's that's busting out at the seams. They're ready to to take their talents to to bigger and better conferences in the America East. 
for all their sports other than football is, is a great fit. You know, this is, a, this is a, an athletics department that uh, has really been atop the NEC in many different sports, uh, particularly the money-making sports, men's basketball in the last two years, 26-6 and six in the NEC. They had the nation's leading scorer in Peter Kiss and got to their first dance for the first time in their Division I program history. So it's a school that's got a lot of potential. Uh, and it's a school that has the resources. They're building a brand-new basketball facility uh, that should hold over 3,000 people. Uh, and this is a school that, that, that has young rising coaches as well. So uh, it makes perfect sense to stay in New England, to have some of those regional ties, and uh, really looking forward to seeing those UVM and Bryant matchups across all schools. You know, I was initially, when I heard this a couple of weeks ago, before I really did all my research, I was initially skeptical of this move. The Northeast Conference in men's basketball is the 30th rated out of 32 conferences in, uh, you know, in the RPI. So I looked at this as, couldn't they do better than Bryant? But you're starting to get me excited. This sounds like it's a good fit regionally, but it also, it sounds like they do have the, uh, the, the stomach to compete in this league. No doubt, and it starts at top. Uh, with their head coach, Jared Grosso. This is a guy that built a mid-major power, a consistent power, year in and year out under Tim Kloos at Iona, which is the college that, that Rick Pitino coaches yeah. at, if, if you're not familiar up there in, in Vermont. Um, but, you know, Rick Pitino has, has done wonders with that job in just two seasons. He took over for a guy, Tim Kloos, who Jared Grosso was right under for a number of years. Uh, I believe in the last eight years it was five NCAA tournaments and three NITs. That's off memory there. Uh, but Jared Grosso has since taken his first head coaching job full-time at Bryant in the last few years, uh, and he's brought them to heights that the program's never seen. Uh, last year, 10-4 and four in the NEC, a championship game appearance. They hosted Mount St. Mary's. This year, 16-2 and two in the league, and they beat Wagner um, – to win the regular season at home, and then they blew them out on national television. Um, so this is a this is a program and a team that's ready to compete in the America East. They've already flirted with a lot of America East opponents, whether that's UNH or whether that's uh, Stony Brook uh, or other teams in the past. So uh, this is a team that's ready to compete against the likes of Vermont, the likes of Albany, if they can get it going again, like they did you know, in recent memory, and UMBC. So this is a this is a, a program that, that should be there soon enough. Beyond men's basketball, it seems like Brian is a good fit in the other sports that the America East cares about, specifically men's lacrosse, and, uh, you know, also women's lacrosse has had a good run at times as well. They have, uh, no doubt. Baseball as well, let me throw that in the mix as well, always one of the better. Uh, well, we don't have baseball, unfortunately, in Vermont. I know you guys don't, <laughs> but, uh, but but the rest but the rest of the league does, and they, yeah. and they are pretty good. So so Brian is Brian's definitely ready to, to get in baseball wise. But yeah, uh, you know when you look at at men's lacrosse specifically, that's one of the marquee sports here at Bryant. They're led by Mike Kressler, uh, who used to be the head coach at Duke a number of years ago, uh, and he's done really well with Bryant. They were in the NCAA tournament this past season and pushed Virginia to the brink, lost thirteen to eleven. That Virginia squad went on to win the national championship. He's upset Syracuse at the Carrier Dome before. So, uh, like I said off the top, a lot of other sports outside of just men's basketball ready to compete in the middle to the upper tier of the America East. Well, Maury, we appreciate the time and the perspective. You can check Maury's work out on social media. He's the sports director over there at the CBS and Fox affiliate in southern New England, and he's out in Rhode Island. So, Maury, I'm sure we'll cross paths again here as uh, UVM and Bryant become conference rivals. We appreciate it. 
You got it, Brady. Anytime. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Maury Hirsch Gordon. Again, out in Rhode Island. Okay. I'm sold. I am sold on Bryant in the America East. I was wrong a few weeks ago. This is a good move overall for the America East Conference. When I said how against it I was a few weeks ago, I was speaking from a place of emotion. I was speaking from a place of frustration that UVM couldn't really raise its profile in this whole conference realignment process. That is what I wanted. That's what I had hoped for. And that's what I was shooting for. And then when it became apparent that that wasn't really going to happen, you have to start realizing that Bryant is a good fit and probably was the best that the league could do. It's good for the entirety of the league. Bryant brings in to Maurice Point, good men's lacrosse program, good baseball program, success in women's lacrosse, men's basketball. So for the overall health and competitiveness of the league, you're bringing in a program that has done well across multiple sports. That's important. Brian is a regional school, meaning your travel costs and everything associated are okay. That's good for everybody. And three, Brian has resources and appears to be dedicated to athletics. And that's really all you can ask for. Maury talks about them, you know, building a new 3,000-seat basketball arena. He talks about the department's commitment to athletics. And that goes with everything that I had heard all day about Brian. I mean, I asked... I asked both Tom Karen and Freddie Coleman about Bryant, and they both spoke very, very highly of Bryant. Like, here was TC on Bryant. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, good good program that is really uh, across the board in sports. And you saw them. They were they were fun to watch this year in the NCAA uh, yeah. playing game uh, when they made that run. Uh, it, it's a school, much like Merrimack, that has put a lot of money and a lot of uh, – uh, improvements into their their facilities to take that jump to full-time D1, uh, and it's really paid off. Okay, so they invest money. They care about athletics. They've been good across multiple sports, multiple programs, multiple genders. I've got to be okay with that. Three weeks ago, a month ago, whenever it was when I said how against it I was, I was wrong. Brian appears to be a good fit, and it does appear to be the best that, that the conference can do. And I hope that UVM gets a new rival out of this across multiple sports. It sounds like it's promising in that regard. So uh, Joe wants to know, could Bryant make this a two-bid league, the America East? Certainly not in basketball. Absolutely not. I don't, maybe in men's lacrosse, potentially down the road, but not in basketball. That's going to do it for us here. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Thanks to Tom Karen, Freddie Coleman, Maury Hirschgordon, all of them for stopping by tomorrow. We chatted up with Buster Olney, who is uh, – continuing his coverage of spring training. We'll talk a little Red Sox with Buster at 545. That'll do it for us. Go download the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you tomorrow. It's DEV.